Last week I was listening to uh, Brant and Sherry on Christian FM. Any other, any fellow Brant and Sherry listeners here? All right, you have good taste, good. Um, I was listening to uh, one of their segments, and uh, during that segment they asked a question that I'd heard them ask before around this time of year, Um, but it's a great question, and, and that is, what is one thing that you're thankful for now but you never thought you would be? What's one thing that you're thankful for now, but you never thought you would be? That's a great question. Brand actually has a video uh, through I Am Second that he did a number of years ago where he points to his diagnosis of being on the autism spectrum and and having Asperger's syndrome as something that he's thankful for now uh, because of the way that he has seen God use his experiences in life to shape him and he says you know what I, I, I wouldn't change it I wouldn't change it and I, I think it's a good question for us to ask ourselves as well what is one thing in your life that you're thankful for now but you never thought you would be as I was looking at our text this morning and studying it and thinking about it this week, I realized that this is a question that could easily uh, have been answered a few times over within these passages that we're going to be looking at. Uh, If you were with us last week, we dug into the uh, first section of Acts chapter 9 and we saw this miraculous conversion of Saul of Tarsus, where he, by God's amazing grace, went from persecutor of Christians to proclaimer of the gospel. And we saw this incredible transformation take place in his life where after this dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was irreversibly changed and he began to immediately preach and share and convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. It is an amazing account that we find at the beginning of Acts chapter 9. Now we're going to catch up with Saul again later in this series but this morning we're actually going to look at some of the events that took place in the life of another key figure here in the book of Acts we've uh, seen him before but we're going to catch up now with the apostle Peter after Saul came to Christ uh, the text tells us that the church enjoyed a time of peace and it was strengthened that living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. It was a sweet season for the church. Gone were the days of Saul's uh, tyrannical rage. And now there was this season where the, the, the church could live in relative peace and be strengthened and increase. And it's during this time that the Apostle Peter Uh, takes a trip from Jerusalem towards the coast. Now, Peter's not going to the coast on vacation uh, like I might. Um, He's going that direction to visit believers and encourage them. And we can also assume that he intended to preach the Word of God along the way as well, because after all, this is Peter we're talking about. Now, during this trip, Luke shares with us about two encounters that Peter has where the circumstances that those he interacts with in these situations are 
shall we say, less than favorable. Yet in each of these situations, what happens is something that no doubt many people could go back and give thanks for afterwards, even though beforehand they might not have thought they ever could. The first of these encounters takes place in the town of Lydda. Uh, it's actually, uh, I think, more properly pronounced as Yoda, um, it, which sounds kind of like Yoda, and we're not going to walk down that road this morning. And honestly, just for ease of use for me and for you as well, I'm going to stick with Lydda. So Lydda was a, uh, a town, it was a, a northwest of Jerusalem by about 25 miles. At, it was in the coastal plain region of Sharon, which extends out about a dozen miles or so inland from the Mediterranean. And from what I understand, just a kind of a, a little cool fact, uh, I understand now that if you were to fly into Israel, where the international airport is, uh, is where Lydda is, uh, or where Lydda was. It was actually destroyed by the Romans in AD 66, but if you fly in now, that is the general area that you would fly into when you go into Israel. Uh, now, apparently it was known by Peter and others that there was a Christian community here, and so he's traveling there. He's come to visit with the believers here, and we can uh, assume encourage them. And as uh, Peter comes to Lydda, he comes across this guy by the name of Aeneas. Now, the text doesn't tell us much about Aeneas. It doesn't tell us that he was a believer uh, when Peter first encounters him uh, like it does in other instances, and we'll see that a little bit later on when we get into the text uh, surrounding Tabitha. Uh, but so, so Luke doesn't tell us that, that he's a believer, we're, so we're not sure. Um, some speculate that uh, Aeneas was a Hellenistic Jew, because he had a Greek name, uh, but we're not completely sure of that either. In fact, we don't know much about Aeneas that isn't speculative, except for the fact that he was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Now, we don't know what happened to, to, to bring this into his life. Uh, was it injury? Was it illness? But Aeneas has been unable to move from his bed for the past eight years. And as Peter encounters him, as Peter shows up, the text tells us that he is healed. It says that Peter called his name and said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately, Aeneas got up. And when I read this account, uh, my mind is immediately drawn to another account that happens in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, where we see Jesus heal another paralytic. You may recall the story, uh, this guy's friends are, want him to be healed so much and they can't get to Jesus. And so they want him to be healed so much that they pull through the roof and lower him down so he can be there with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus heals him first spiritually because he says your sins are forgiven. But then physically as he says, take your mat, get up, and walk. And so there's this, this interesting parallel here we see with Peter and Aeneas. And as we look back at this encounter here with Aeneas, uh, it, you know, Jesus has, has now healed him. And you know, Peter is just the vessel of the Holy Spirit's power here. 
And, and, and Peter recognizes this. You know, Peter's not taking credit for this. Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. And it is this uh, incredible example, one of many incredible examples of the fullness of the Holy Spirit on display in and through the life of God's people as we see it in the book of Acts. Now think about that question that I posed to you a little bit earlier about the things that you're thankful for that you didn't used to be. You know, I would say that it's very possible we don't know for sure, uh, but it's very possible that Aeneas wasn't thankful for the paralysis that he endured. You know, while he was enduring it, it's very possible that there was no gratitude for what he was going through. However, now, as Peter called him to get up and walk just as, you know, as, as Jesus had done with, with, with this other one, this other paralytic in, in Luke 5. As this takes place, as Jesus brings healing into the body of Aeneas, Aeneas, Aeneas definitely has reason to be thankful. He definitely has reason to, 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 to be grateful and to, to jump for joy because he is healed. But beyond his physical healing, there's another reason. An even greater reason for gratitude. And it's a reason that would have very much enabled Aeneas, I think, to look back and, and, and see everything that he had gone through and go, oh, now I'm thankful for that. Now I'm grateful for what I, I went through. Because the text says that when people heard of this healing and saw this healing, all those in Lydda and Sharon turned to the Lord. All of those in Lydda and Sharon turned to the Lord because of what they had seen happen in Aeneas' life. There was this mass conversion that took place as a result of this healing. You know, because of his paralysis and then this miraculous healing, a whole region went from death to life. The story um, actually makes me think about um, Joni Erickson Tata and something that I, I read from her a while back. Um, if you're not familiar with, um, with Joni Erickson Tata, she was paralyzed in a swimming accident when she was 18. And she's been a quadriplegic for a good portion of her life. Amazing ministry that she's had uh, in that time. But in one of the books that I was reading a while back about gratitude, Atata wrote the foreword to the book, and she said this. She said, Many decades in a wheelchair have taught me not to segregate my Savior from the suffering he allows. And she goes on to say, Maybe this wheelchair felt like a horrible tragedy in the beginning, but I give God thanks in my wheelchair. I'm grateful for my quadriplegia. It's a bruising of a blessing, a gift wrapped in black, it's the shadowy companion that walks with me daily, pulling and pushing me into the arms of my Savior. And that's where the joy is. That's incredible perspective. You know, the, 
the thing that she has endured that most of us would look like, look at and go, that, there's never anything that you could be thankful for out of that. That's the thing that she is thankful for because she says, it pushes and pulls me into the arms of my Savior. And this healing here in Acts chapter 9 not only pushed and pulled Aeneas into the arms of the Savior, but those who heard about it as well were pushed and pulled into the arms of Christ. You know, and, and many in that region came to know him as a result of what the Lord did through Aeneas. Now the second encounter that we're going to look at this morning takes place in the city of Joppa. And it, it um, involves a disciple by the name of Tabitha. It says in verse 36 in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, we're just going to stick with Tabitha. I think she'd appreciate that. I, I just, I'm just, um, so we're going to go with Tabitha on this. But I'll say this, it's significant that she's named a disciple, that the text tells us that she's a disciple here. The Greek word that's used here means female disciple, and it is the only time that it's used in Scripture. It's the only time, this is the only instance of this being used in Scripture. Uh, it doesn't, that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't other uh, female Jesus followers. We see that throughout Scripture. But for some reason, Luke cho chooses to use this word uh, for Tabitha to show that she is a disciple of Jesus. And so Tabitha is a Jesus follower. She is a disciple. And the text says that she was, because of this, she was always doing good and helping the poor. You know, this was the overflow of her life following Christ. And it says, about that time, this is the time that Peter is in Lydda, about that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Now Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. So the believers in Joppa, they hear that Peter is there in, in, in Lydda, and, and as Tabitha dies, they send a couple of guys to go get him and bring him back to Joppa. A few things that, that might be helpful to know about the town of Joppa, again, this is one of those pronunciations, probably Yope is, more, is closer to the, the pronunciation, or Joppa, uh, but we're going to go with Joppa. Uh, it was right on the coast of the Mediterranean, and it had this kind of natural harbor that rose up from the sea onto a hill. And it was historically a fairly important city uh, in, uh, for military and also for, for um, maritime commerce as well. And, and, and that may be uh, one of the reasons that there's a large community of widows here. We don't know. Is that because of military? Is that because of the maritime, the dangers of, of the maritime industry there? We're not sure. Uh, but a couple of places that we read about Joppa uh, prior to this account uh, is when Solomon, he's having timber floated down uh, for the construction of the temple. This, th those logs, those timbers are being brought here through Joppa. And then also, uh, when uh, it, this is the port that Jonah sails out of when he's heading the opposite direction of Nineveh. Okay, so, uh, so th those are a few places. There's, there's one or two more that we hear about um, 
But this, those are a few places that we hear about this location of Joppa. It was about 10 to 12 miles from Lydda where Peter was. Uh, so it would have been about a day's journey. And so Peter, as these guys come, he heads there on the request of the believers. And when he gets to Joppa, it says that he was taken upstairs to the room and all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that she had made while she was still with them. So picture this scene. Peter pulls up to Joppa, where this disciple Tabitha had lived. She's no longer alive. And her loss has rocked the community. Because remember, it said that she was always doing good and helping the poor. The Greek wording points to this life that is just flowing, this abundant life of care for others and and, and abundant compassion for others and this service-oriented life, this others-focused life. It was just overflowing with that. And apparently this made quite an impact on the the community of of widows here in Joppa because as Peter comes up, they're holding on to some of these garments that she had made for them. And it's likely they're wearing some of them as well. And they're showing them to Peter while they're weeping at the loss of someone who obviously had poured into their lives and given of herself unto them. I mean, you can almost picture what the scene was like as he came up there and they're just hysterically crying and showing him these these, these garments. And and maybe, maybe we can picture that right now, but maybe even better, we could try and picture what it was like a few weeks before this or a few months before this, before Tabitha got ill. What what would the day have looked like as she wove and sewed the clothing together that these widows wore and possibly sold in the market so, so that they had something to survive on, living side by side with them, sharing meals with them and laughing with them, crying with them. But now, Tabitha is gone. And there's a huge hole in their hearts. So again, Peter, he walks into this anguish-filled scene and it says that he sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Now, similar to that scene in Aeneas where it kind of helps you to, it, it draws your mind to other accounts that we've seen in scripture this one i think uh, does that same thing as well it, uh, the, the the recollection of other healings at the hands of jesus like you know lazarus in 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 john chapter 11 or or in uh, luke chapter 7 with the raising of the widow's son and then also, you know, the, the raising of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5. And actually what's very interesting, if you look in the Aramaic rendering of what Jesus says to uh, the daughter of Jairus when he heals her, and that which Peter says here, they're only separated by one letter. In Aramaic, the, the, the phrase here would have been Tabitha kumi, which is only one different from Jesus' command to Jairus' daughter, which is Talitha kumi. And there are some other things that I think are interesting about this account of Tabitha being raised to life as well. You know, Tabitha 
she's the first post-resurrection resurrection. This is the first time that we see somebody uh, raised back to life, someone being brought back to life since we saw Jesus resurrected Himself. It's very interesting to think about that. You know? And, and, And what that shows us about the power that is still at work there. And we'll, you know, we'll see another account of this in, in Acts as well, of, of, of those being raised back to life. But you know, one of the questions I found myself asking as I was kind of going through this this week and kind of just meditating on the Scripture and going, you know, what's, what's here that I need to see? What's here that I need to, to kind of think about? But one of the questions that I, I found myself asking about this, and just sidebar on this, this will, I think this shows that, that God can work anywhere um, you know, I, this was when I was out surfing yesterday. God brought this question to my mind and started, like, I was out there in the water kind of meditating on Scripture. And so if you think you only have to, like, be here, uh, you know, at church reading Scripture or in, you know, your quiet place, your prayer closet or whatever, no, like, God is with us always, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in us as we are followers of Christ. He dwells in us, and He can speak to you in the middle of the ocean uh, and, and uh, just as much as he can, he can do that in your quiet place at home. But, but one of the, the, the questions that kind of stirred in me is, is why? Why, Lord? Why is she the one that's brought back to life? Why, you know, why was she brought back to life? What's the, what is going on here that's significant about her being brought to life? And I think that there were two reasons that really came to me as I started thinking about this and, and, and looking at it a little bit more. At least, and, and, and perhaps there are more reasons here, but the two reasons that I kind of looked at and, and that I think that she's brought back to life are this. One, for the good of the community, for the good of the people that she was was uh, in the midst of but two it's for the glory of God it's for the glory of God and you know so let's just talk about both of those briefly first the the good of the community Um, you know it was for their good that she would be raised back to life right Um, Paul he talks about this in Philippians chapter one Uh, he says you know I I, I desire to be with Christ but I think it's for your good that the Lord will keep me with you it says this uh Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and die and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul is in a prison writing this letter and he says, oh, I want to be with Jesus. Oh, I want to be with Christ. But I think it's better for you that I don't go right now. I think it's better for you that the Lord's keeps me around and so he's probably going to do that and 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 i think we see that here in tabitha as well there's there's this 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 value that she has added to the community this value that she has added to the lives as a follower of christ as somebody who who has cared for these widows who has 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 you know abounded with with works of good sir works of service and so you know she's brought back to life and and you know, by the way, like if that happens to me, I'm not happy right now. Like, I was on my way to Jesus, 
right? And now I'm back in this, right? I, I, uh, I love, um, we were having dinner with uh, Olivia and John one night, and, and uh, ta- the topic of heaven came up. And she just said to our kids, uh, sorry I put you on the spot, but she said, uh, don't you, isn't heaven just going to be so exciting? I just saw this excitement in her voice, and it was like, yeah, like, help me have that perspective. Like, that's where I want to be. I don't want to, I love you guys. I really love you guys, but I don't want to be here more than I want to be with him. Like that, that's the perspective that I want to have in life and that we should have in life, that we're longing for heaven. We're longing to be with our Savior. But as long as we are here, let us do the work that he has called us to do and let us, let us bring value to the lives around us and to the world around us, right? And that's what we see here in, in, in Tabitha is, is, is I think one of the reasons that, that you know, she's brought back to life is for the good of those around her. But the other reason is for the glory of God. And every healing, every miracle, points to, it brings glory to God. Every, every, every one of those miracles and healings that you see in Scripture are a big arrow pointing to God. They are, are, are that which should ascribe glory to God. They point to the healer, not the one that has been healed and not the healing. And sometimes we can get that out of whack and we're so focused on the healing and we're so focused on those that are healed that we lose sight of the healer. You know, and we lose sight of the one who's giving that gift and the, 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 the one whose, whose spirit brings that to pass in our lives. I, I, um, back to John chapter 11, we talked about the death of Lazarus uh, a few moments ago. But this is what Jesus says uh, before he, he raises Lazarus back to life. He says this, he says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He says this is going to be a big arrow pointing to God. That's why it's taking place. That's why it's taking place. And, and, and as we see this here in, with, with Tabitha as well, that's the same thing that's going on here. In verse 42 it says, this became known all over Joppa. This, her being brought back to life, became known all over Joppa. And what happened? Many people believed in the Lord. People came from death to life because she was brought back from death to life. That's what happened. And the Lord was glorified in that. And so, so, so anytime we see that taking place, anytime we see the Lord bring healing and bring a change like that, it's meant to be a big arrow that's pointing to Him and bringing glory to Him. And, and that should be a reminder to us that when we see it happen in our life, that that's the direction our hearts need to go. That's the direction our praise needs to go. Just thank You, Lord, because this is evidence of who you are and your goodness and this is meant to bring you glory. Now, I, thinking back to the original question that we focused on this morning at the beginning, I wonder if Aeneas and Tabitha and the widows, I wonder if you ask them that question after all this, what's one thing that you're thankful for now that you never thought you would be? I wonder what they would say. Would they point to that long season of disability, of being unable to move from the bed, and everything that came with that, 
people having to come and tend to them and make sure that they were turned and, and moved and repositioned so they didn't get sores on their body. Of people coming to feed them, to care for their every need. Eight long years of that. Or, 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 or the sudden shock of grief when the, the one person who loved you and cared for you, the one person who poured their life out for you was suddenly ripped away from you. I wonder if they would look back at that now and say, I'm so grateful for that. Because through those things that took place in my life, and in their life, those that they were brought in contact with experienced the healing power of Jesus. They experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit coming and bringing radical transformation not only in their own lives, but in the lives of so many around them. It's a question that, that we need, I think, to wrestle with ourselves what's one thing that God might that, that you are thankful for now that you never thought you would be but, but also maybe more importantly what's w one thing you're going through right now that you don't think you'll ever be thankful for but that God can turn around and God can make a change. And God, through His power and His presence, can bring something good and can be glorified. I, I, uh, I want to give us some time to think about that this morning and reflect on it. I'm, I'm going to invite the, the, um, the worship team to come forward. And um, before, we, uh, before we sing... Where we close this morning uh, with a couple of songs. Um, I want to give us an opportunity to think about that. Maybe for you it is something that, that maybe you would answer that question, what's one thing that I'm thankful for that I never thought I would be? And then you can turn to God and praise Him in that as we sing together and, and praise Him together. But maybe right now it's hard for you to give thanks and gratitude just doesn't come very easy maybe there's something you're walking through right now and it's hard to see how God is going to turn that and make it something beautiful from, from what looks like ashes right now but our God does that our God does that and we can see that here within the text as well that he is a God that, that brings transformation. He brings change. And so maybe you're in a place where you're just saying, this, this season that I'm in, this is hell. This is so tough. And it's hard for me to even see tomorrow. Right now, if that's you, I want to just invite you to, to ask the Lord to come in and bring change and to help you to see tomorrow. And so we're just going to have a time. The team's going to play quietly. I just want to give you a few moments to reflect on that, and then we're going to close by singing together.